uh, go ahead and start turning, or sorry, actually, if you need a Bible first, raise your hand, we'll get a Bible to you. Again, everyone's shy at first, but just get your hand up, we'll get you a free Bible. If you don't own one, it's our free gift to you, take this one, keep it. Or if you uh, have a friend who doesn't have one, you want one, take it and give it to him. Okay, we are in week three of a series that we've entitled BLESS, okay, B-L-E-S-S, it's a five-letter acronym, and we're in week three into the E, okay, so two weeks ago we started the series with the B, B is, is bless, L is listen, and so how do we as a church, how do we as Christians seek to bless people in this world. We looked all the way back to the Old Testament and said, okay, in Genesis 12, we see that Abraham in the beginning, right? Abraham is called out by God, says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make much of you so that you will be a blessing. And so we realize that in the very beginning, as God's rounding up his people, calling his people, forming his people, he says to him, listen, this is all happening. I'm going to make this nation. I'm going to bless you not because you've been obedient, not because that you're doing good things, it's so that you will be a blessing to the world. That people would look to my people and say, I want that. That people would look to the nation of Israel and say, man, their God is supreme, their God is faithful, their God is good, their God is, and then the entire facet and gamut of who God is we represented through his people. That translates to us today as the church globally all over the world that represent our Savior Jesus, that we now represent this God faithful. We are blessed so that we'll be a blessing to the nations. Okay? That's our mission. And so this series was meant to say we want to give very tangible hands and feet to how do we do this? How in the city of Flagstaff, or listen, wherever you're from, I know we have visitors every single week, wherever you're from, that you would go back and say, these are tangible, practical ways I can implement in my life that based on a solid gospel-centered theological foundation that I can go and love my neighbor. Okay. So the first one was blessed, and it was very simple. How do you bless someone? And there's an abundant amount of ways you can do that. Okay. The next one is listen, that we did last week, and that was just listen, be quiet, right? Like when you sit down with someone, just, just shut your mouth for a moment and hear what they have to say. And we said the application last week was go invite someone out to coffee and ask them one question, really. And it was, what's your story? And then just be quiet, right? What's your story? And, and just listen and hear and see how much when you get the background, when you begin to listen to what people are actually saying, instead of just jumping into whatever you want to bring forward, you will learn an insane amount, not just about people, but about culture, and not just about people and culture, but about God. Okay, and so we listen to people. Today, we get to the E, which is easily my favorite of the blessed rhythms, okay? Um, so some of you are already laughing because you know that it's eat, okay? So eat, easily my favorite. Anthony said earlier as we were praying, it's probably his favorite part of creation, Okay? Is, is eating and food. And so um, my, my fear is in the midst of this, even as we start is, okay, when you begin to talk about things that are godly and spiritual, oftentimes food doesn't usually become part of it, right? It's not usually part of the conversation. Usually we talk about, well, Bible study or church or small group or prayer or any of the other disciplines, but we, and food just kind of seems, no, that's, just, that's a gift, that's a thing. And so what we've done is we've created some of this divide, and we've talked about it here a lot, this sacred-secular divide, where certain things are spiritual and sacred, prayer, Sunday service, Wednesday attendance, Bible reading, etc., fasting, and then we've got the things that are secular, which are, listen, they're not too attached to God, and so that'd be like eating and work and friendship and playing pool or whatever it might be, that there's this 
divide here, and we've tried to say that doesn't exist, that you're not going to find anywhere in Scripture where that divide is actually a real thing, that everything is underneath the lordship of Jesus, that both the Bible study and his word and the food that we eat all given and representative of a good God, and so we treat them as spiritual and sacred. And so today, as we jump into this, I just want to, man, check in, step into this, understand there is a bigger picture of what this means for us to live out this rhythm of eat in our lives. Now, every single one of us in here eats, okay? Okay, everyone does that. And so if you think about it, about three meals a day is the average. Three meals a day, seven days a week, so 21 meals a week. 20 meals a week, 12 or in 30 to 31 days a month, equals about 91 meals a month. Over 12 months, over a year, you're looking at almost just under 1,100 meals you will eat in this year. Okay? 1,100 times you will sit down and consume a meal. Okay? And that's just average. The question for us today is what are you doing with those 1,100? And the truth is, is that this isn't a question that we ask all that often. If ever have we asked the question, what am I going to do with the 1,100 times I'm going to sit down and have a meal? The truth is about us eating is that it doesn't require a lot of intentionality. You can just eat and you'll get through your day and you'll be fine. Whereas last week as we looked at listen and the week before we looked at bless, for us to really do those, man, we have to check in, we have to really push forward, we have to be intentional but with eat, I think we are kind of lulled into this idea that eating is simple. We have to do it. We know we're going to do it. And so it's a routine thing. And so we leave it and do it without intentionality. The purpose of today, the purpose of us getting into this rhythm in the blessed rhythms is how do we infuse gospel-centered intentionality into the way you eat? Okay. How you eat, when you eat, what you eat, and who you eat with, okay? And how does this all work out in the midst of the gospel? So um, really what we're going to look at this is, is through two lenses. One, through the idea and the belief that food and the meal and eating is central to God's worship, and that food, eating, and the meal is central to God's mission, okay? Central to his worship, central to his mission. So let's start with central to God's worship. Listen, very simple, we all know this because every time that you sit down to have a meal, if you're a real Christian, uh, you pray. Okay? I'm kidding. You don't have to be, but you guys are quiet today. Every time you sit down, you say, okay, dear Lord, thank you. Usually you've got at least two or three people at the table that are eye-opener prayers, right? So they're staring at you while you're doing this and you're getting into it, and they're just like, really? This is taking forever. Okay? Or you'll also find the guy as you're praying, that person's already eating. Okay. I had a friend one time, we were, we were out to dinner, and I'm praying, and I'm just getting after it. Like, you know what I mean? The Lord is really glorified in this prayer. And, uh, and I look up, and my entire dish is gone, right? Like, just the plate, and everyone at the table ate my food while I was praying, okay? Sin, okay? No better way to explain that. That's sin. And so I open up my eyes, food's gone. And so, listen, if you're praying with those people, just kick them out, right? They're just, they're not really praying. Uh, but listen, we notice this every time we sit down, we see the meal before us, we pray. But here's, again, the prayer becomes kind of routine, right? You sit down and you, you pray after the appetizer because that doesn't really need to be blessed and no one really cares about that. So it's only for, for the entree and then you're good. When you pray, though, what are we doing? Why do we do that? What's the purpose of the prayer? It, it, 
It's to remind us that the food that lays before you was given to you by God. It's to remind you, you do not deserve this. You did not earn this. This is given by God. God is provider, provision. The food you eat, the sustenance is given to you by God. And so we pray, dear Lord, thank you. It's a point of God's worship. Food draws us into worship. God, God, thank you. You are a provider, not just in the sustenance that I need for my life, but also in the air I breathe, the money I have, the friendships in my life, the church I belong to, on and on and on and on. God provides. The second thing that we do, even in that moment of prayer, as we approach food, is we're reminded, if, if, we, if we take a step in and we begin to think about it, we're reminded of the reality that without the thing that we're about to eat, we would die. Okay? That, 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 listen, all of you in this room require food to live. You have to have it. You can go, listen, you know, right, 40-day fast, that's possible, seeing that. Okay, so you could go a little while without the food. You got to have the drink, though. Got to have the water. But if you can go, okay, go 40 days with no food, you'll probably live. But if you went without food for an extended period of time, you would die. And so as we come and approach the meals, we come to food, as we come to eating, and we're in that moment of prayer, the opportunity for us is to remember, man, God has made it so you and me we are so incredibly dependent on him. You are not self-sufficient. As much as our culture wants you to believe it, you're just not. If food isn't grown for you, for you to eat and live, you die. Okay? If food is not provided, if God does not create and cultivate the world so that it might make food, you would die. See, food reminds us again, this eating moment, this meal reminds us of God and why we worship him because he has made us dependent on him. He's provider, he's sovereign, and requires our dependence. And then this last one, a meal itself is a divine offering and reflection of worship to God, okay? Genesis 18, if you got your Bibles turned there, Genesis 18 will be in verse one, okay? Turn there, Genesis 18, verse one. Okay, got it? This is Abraham, again, hanging out with his family. And here's what happens. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Will I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on. Since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. And then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood with them under the tree while they ate. Okay, okay so here's, here's what's happening, Okay. Abraham's just, just hanging out with the family. Normal day, kids are out playing wiffle ball, whatever it might be. They're just out there doing their thing. Three men approach. Abraham looks up and says, God, right? He said, okay, so God walked here, right? 
the Lord is here. Oh, oh Lord, have I found favor in your sight? If this is true, if you're really here, would you stay for a while while I cook for you a feast? So this moment of God's presence coming to Abraham, his response is, let's make a meal. His response is, okay, I'm I'm just going to bow down and worship and sing a bunch of songs, although that's great, okay? It wasn't, hey, let's go hang out. Can I talk to you and ask you a bunch of questions? That wasn't, his immediate response was, hey, you're here. God, thank you for coming. Let me get you some food. And so he runs into the house, and Sarah, and you know, you ever have that? You have like a roommate or your, or your husband or your wife, like they run in, and they're freaking out, and they're opening up every pantry, and you're like, what, what is going on? In this case, Abraham's, oh, God's here. God came over, right? Instagram, boom, got him, right? It's just God showed up. Let's cook a meal. We're going to have a feast. And so he takes all of these choice things. He takes the good calf. He gets the curds. He gets the milk. He gets all this. He makes cake. He makes cake. Beautiful, okay? And then he provides this meal for the Lord and these two men and then joins them in this meal, stands with them. I, don't, I can't imagine what the conversation would have been like. Hey, what are you doing here? You know, I'm God. You know, I go where I want. And they just talk, I, you know, I just, but that was his initial response was, okay, hey, God's here. Let's eat. Let's dine, let's feast, and let's make it really, really good. Okay, so um, again, the meal, food, eating, it really is in so many levels at the center, one of the things, at the center of the worship of God, making much of him, the reminders that we get as we approach the things given by God. Okay, now, turning it, central to God's mission. Okay, central to God's mission. Now, there's... um, there's some pushback even on this idea. And, and as I've gotten in conversations with different people over the years, there, there's some pushback in the idea of, listen, it's j- j- just preach, right? That's what they say. Is just preach. Just listen. Let's all just leave here right now. Let's go knock door to door, have the people open and say, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Let's just go. Let's just do it. Bam, bam, bam. Let's just, and that's the way that the gospel spreads. So the rest of this stuff, let's just set aside. It's secondary. I have no problem with the door-to-door thing if that's your gift and God's called you to do that. That's fine. But I guarantee you, and we'll talk about this more next week as we get into the S, the speak aspect of this blessed rhythm of of how we share the gospel, um, that's not everyone's gift. Not everyone's able to do that. If I asked my wife, and many of you know Verde, I said, hey, babe, would you go to our neighbor's house, knock on the door, and just say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? She would divorce me. Like, that would be grounds for her, I think, Right? She's, I'm, I'm out, I'm not, that is just, that is not her gift, it's not her skill set, she would totally hate that. So, um, and again, to these conversations, I said, listen to the God, Jesus, the problem that you're running into, and the reason why I have pushback on those people would say, listen, no, just preach, just preach, it's not about this social aspect, it's not about entering into a relationship, just preach. I say, man, well, the only issue I have with that is the Bible, okay, it, is the Bible, is, is Scripture. I, that's, that's where I have a bit of contention with is because when I look at the life of Jesus, I, I run into some issues. If you read the Gospel of Luke, okay, if, if you get a chance to do this, just go read the Gospel of Luke, and you will see at almost every single turn, Jesus is either on his way to a meal, enjoying a meal, leaving a meal, or talking about food in a parable. It's crazy. 
Like everywhere you turn, it's like, oh, the guy's eating again. Oh, he's, he's still full. Okay, he's got an ingestion. Okay, now he's, he's eating again. Now he's talking about over and over and over this theme you see running throughout Luke. I even I heard a quote this week. It says that Jesus was crucified because of who he ate with. Or how, no, Jesus was crucified because of what he and how he ate in the Gospel of Luke. Because of how he entered into community, who he entered into community with. Food and the meal were extremely central to the mission of Jesus in this world. So let's look at what he did. And let me just say this. If, if you have a friend, right, and they think you eat too much, and I get that from Verity from time to time. Why do you eat so much? And I'm like, listen, WWJD, girl. You know what I mean? That's all I say. And then it's good. So what would Jesus do? Luke 5, 27, verse 30, or Luke 5, 27 to 32, verse 27, says this. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Levi is Matthew. Matthew is Levi. You probably know him as that better. And he said to him, follow me, verse 28. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him, and Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay. So again, here's the story. Matthew, Levi, is, is called by God. Hey, Matt, follow me. He says, okay, right? Puts down I don't, the money bags, puts it all down, and says, okay, I'm in. Follows Jesus. And what's his initial response to his first true encounter with the living God let me make you a meal. He says, Jesus, okay, you're coming in. Let's feast. Let's dine. I'm going to invite some buddies over. We're going to have a party. It's going to be great. And so he eats with Jesus. The first response. It's a, you see Abraham, Old Testament. Okay, God's here. Let's eat. You come to the New Testament, Matthew. God's here. Let's eat. And so they share in this feast together. In the middle of this feast, Jesus finds himself surrounded at a table, at a communal table, and that's just the way it was. These long, these pictures, these wooden tables, people sitting around them, people on the floor, people around, and surrounded by tax collectors and sinners, people that no one else would associate with. And then he's called out by this group of people called the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day. They knew the Bible, the Old Testament, the Torah, front to back, could recite to you every scripture necessary for life as a Jew, knew it all. And they were calling out Jesus, what are you doing? Do you realize who you're sitting with? And Jesus' response to them, why, how dare you, what are you doing? Why would you eat with these people? And his response is mission. His answer is mission. His answer is, because I didn't come here to spend all my time with the righteous. A doctor does not come to spend time. A doctor is not a doctor if all he does is spend his time with the healthy. A doctor is a doctor if he spends time with the sick. Jesus could only be Jesus if he spent his time with those who needed him. A Christian can only be a Christian if they spend time with those who know that they need, who need to know Jesus, okay? A doctor can't be a doctor without being with the sick. Jesus can't be Jesus without being with those who need him. We cannot be Christians if we're not spending some of our time 
with those who need to know him. Now, when you begin to dig further into this reality of God's mission, Christ's mission as response to why he eats and how he eats and how he integrates the gospel with this, okay, we're consistently reminded that this is our calling too. Both to worship God through our food and how we eat, what a meal looks like, and to be on mission with it as well. To engage those who need Jesus. Now, that begs the question, well, who needs Jesus? And the answer is every single person in this world. Every single person in this world, and that includes you who's been a Christian for 35 years. You need Jesus. The truth is, is that I've been a Christian now for about 10 years, and I know I need Jesus more today than I did 10 years ago. And I'm guessing that story is truer and truer for those in here who've known him longer and longer. We all need Jesus. So the outworking of our mission to the world is to engage and to eat and to live life and to share a meal with everyone. (laughs) Not all at once, that's impossible. But to sit down, be on mission, and like Jesus, use food as an avenue for that to happen well, okay? Now, um, if if we understand Jesus' ministry and mission and we, and we understand that he uses food and uses the meal in such a way as to proclaim that, we understand then that obviously food and the meal finds itself as one of the central pillars of the presentation of the gospel, of the presentation of the good news of Jesus, a good news that goes all the way back to the beginning, the meta-narrative of the Bible, the meta-narrative of the world, that when you go back from Genesis to Revelation, it's one story and I, w- I want to show you this. It, it goes from just the meal and food is an arc of the entire thing. So in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, as God's creating everything, as he's speaking everything into this, he makes man, he makes woman, he's made all of the plants and animals, and he says to Adam and he says to Eve, this is all for you. Eat of anything you want. So he starts with a menu, Right? Like, he starts with a menu. In Genesis 1, he starts with a menu. You get it all, right? So you don't have to choose genre, right? Like, so my wife and I sit down, and we're like, hey, where do you want to go to dinner? Actually, we just saw this meme. I don't know if you guys know what a meme is. It's, you know, you got a picture, and you get words on the front and stuff like that that kind of make a joke of whatever is going on. But it was actually one of those GIFs, which is this, uh, you know, like, video thing. This is taking a long explanation. Uh, and so it's this mini movie clip that's on repeat, and the words that are on the front of it, it was of the notebook, which uh, at least 75% of us have seen, and so this is going to work. Um, and it's of Ryan Gosling with Rachel McAdams, and he says to her, what do you want? And she says, I don't know. He says, what do you want? She says, I don't know. She says, what do you want? She says, it's not that simple. He goes, dang it, girl, what do you want? <laughs> and then the words over the front was, every time I ask my wife where she wants to go to dinner. Right? <laughs> I lost my train of thought. I don't know where I'm going. No. So in the beginning, Genesis 1, it starts with this menu. God, you got it all. It's all there for you. It goes from menu, and then we look to the end of time. We looked at, listen, Revelation 19. All the way at the end, Revelation 19, it ends with a meal. It ends with a feast. We go from menu in Genesis 1 to meal in Revelation 19. The bookends, the bookends of your word, the bookends of the gospel. Menu, meal. Food, 
feast. These are the bookends of the ministry and the gospel of Christ as he is, has created in the beginning, made everything perfect. There is this meal. He saw the fall. So, right, so the fall happens and brokenness comes in even to how we eat, even how we treat food. As Nate said, we, food all of a sudden becomes an idol for us. Easily. Right? So we're depressed, we're sad, so we go eat. We don't, listen, there's no other aspects. We don't seek out people, we don't seek out God. We just go to what's comfortable, and oftentimes that's food for many of us. Food can become an idol. What you eat, how you eat it, who you eat it with, the status that comes along with that, on and on and on and on. Brokenness enters into our food, the way we eat our meals. So then you have allergies. Like, honestly, listen, you're allergic to some of the best foods in the world because of the fall. This should make you mad. I'm allergic to avocado. I still eat it. My throat closes up, lips get puffy, don't care. Okay, got to go sometime. Allergies. Oh, he's laughing. That's, okay. Allergies, it's part of it. Okay, that's part of the brokenness of the world. It really is. Celiacs, some of you guys who can't have bread, sorry. Brokenness, sin, that's a problem. Okay, vegetarians, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. No, you're fine. You're fine. Sort of. Uh, no, just kidding. You're fine. Brokenness centers in in the fall. So you start in the beginning. Creation, beautiful. This menu is given. Anything you want, it's all there for you. The fall comes in. Brokenness, pain, all these problems that we have with food, the people that we eat with, the fact that across our world, there are millions and millions of people who don't eat. Honestly, listen, in our own city, there's thousands of people who don't eat. In our own state, there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who do not eat. Okay? Brokenness, the fall. Jesus' life, when he enters into this and you begin to see him work through his ministry on this world, his life embodies the perfection that is a foretaste of what is to come. And so we look at his actions, we look at what he does, we look at his ministry, and we say, okay, he's doing something on purpose. So through his life, we see perfection. We see what is to come. Through his death, he dies to help redeem the brokenness and the pain and all of the things that have happened in the fall to bring that all back. And then in his resurrection, we find the new life, not just for us, but for the whole world, that there is hope and promise that all of this will be redeemed, moving into restoration again, Revelation 19, where this culminates in a grand feast for those who know and love Jesus where once again, everything is available. Everything is open. Nothing is broken. Nothing is distorted. Everyone's at the table. No one's left out that loves Christ. Menu to meal, this beautiful picture of the gospel and the intentionality of why I think Christ himself engages in this reality of sharing and living life through food throughout his entire ministry, okay? Right? You guys never even thought about this, right? So when you think about having a banana later, Jesus. Um, let me read that from Revelation 19, 6 through 9. It's just a great, beautiful picture, and I don't want to leave it behind. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. 
It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God, the good news. God is redeeming all things. And this culminates in this grand feast where we celebrate that truth. Now, some observations as we uh, come down the final stretch. First, a meal is godly. Okay? A meal is godly. And here's what I mean by that. When God created the world, okay, he, he took and formed everything into his perfect image the way he wanted to see it happen. He forms it and makes it very good, right? So you get to the end of Genesis 1. It was very good. That was, so he took all of this, forms it, makes it. It was good. Honestly, what we do when you cook a meal, especially, right, like when, when you go home and you open up your fridge, like, what's for dinner? And you have nothing planned, and then you open it up, and there's 16 different things all over your fridge that should have been eaten probably two or three weeks ago. But you're like, you know what? With none of this is good by itself, but let's throw it all in the crock pot, right? And so you have 19 different vegetables, seven different meats, and a little bit of rice, and you make the greatest thing you've ever tasted, Honestly, listen, when we make and create and honestly put down a meal on a plate and share that with another, you enter into the character and image of God that you've been created in. We image a creative God. We image a God who makes order and beauty. We image a God who makes things great and good for us to enjoy. And so, listen, a meal is godly. You represent and reflect and are an ambassador to the realities of God's character, even as you cook. Secondly, a meal is universal. Again, and I've said this, everyone here eats. Everyone in the world eats. It was one of my favorite parts of traveling was you would get there and realize, okay, everyone, you eat and you celebrate and you eat this food and, and mostly it's really good, right? Mostly it's really good, but you will not find the person that you're going to say, hey, man, you want to eat? He's like, I don't do that. Oh, really? No, I don't eat. That's not going to happen, right? Like, you're not, not going to find the guy who says, no, I just don't, I don't do food. Yes, yes. Everyone eats. It's universal. It's global. Wherever you go. In some application, we'll get there in just a moment. But next one, a, a meal is unifying, okay? A meal is unifying. Listen, at the table. At the table. Belonging is the expected reality and division is out of place. At the table, belonging is the expected reality, and division is out of place. Does it make sense? Everyone's welcome at the table, right? And, and the truth is, is as you sit down and you share a meal and you sit across from people, there's, there's just this new thing that is bred, this community, this friendship. I've, if you're not a friend with the person that you're going to dinner with before you, you start eating, you usually will be by the time you leave. There's just something about this moment. It's unifying. It brings people together, a sense of belong. I belong at this table. I can be here. We can eat. We can share. We can live life. And then division is, just feels weird. Right? Listen, any of you who've ever been a fight with, in, with someone in your life, okay? So, um, Verity and I, we never fight, but when, the one time we did, uh, you know, it's one thing, okay, we sit on the opposite ends of the couch, and it's like, okay, we're upset, this makes sense, so we'll sit on the opposite ends of the couch, okay? And so there's a divide, whatever. 
But then you take us and you put us in that same situation and all of a sudden we're sitting at the dining table together or we're out to eat together. All of a sudden it just feels weird, right? Like it's one thing for us to fight in the home. Okay, we can be on different. But the moment you get to the table, I I just feel there's this extra sense of this is reserved for welcome. This is reserved for unity. This is welcome. Wow, this is reserved for us to be together and to be of one accord, one mind, and in love. There's just something about that. And division is felt out of place. There is no better place, there is no better action, there is no better thing that you can do to make a push towards diversity than to share a meal. There's just not another thing in this world. As we look at these blessings, we always said, listen, the three contexts that we seek to bless people in our city and in this world as individuals and as the church is both to a Christian and non-Christian. Last one is someone not like you. Because this is not our natural proclivity to go to people that are not like us. We usually gravitate towards those who look and act and eat and do and things like we do. Intentionality. The table becomes a place where unlike any other you can sit across from someone who is completely different. Doesn't look like you, doesn't speak like you, doesn't think like you, doesn't believe what you believe. On and on and on, the table becomes that place. The table becomes this incredible moment and opportunity for the church to just open up our eyes and see the beauty in in every person and in every part of creation that God's given this world. Okay, next a meal is evangelistic, okay? So um, they're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? So you got an hour and a half. You go out to dinner, as soon as they order, pounce, right? You're like, hey, your food's coming, and just get in there. There is a reality to, and when we sit down and share a meal, there's just, there's openness. There's, hey, I mean, we're, we're, we're close. I trust you. There are friends here. Let's, let's talk. Let's engage. And so next week, we'll talk more about this, but share the gospel, it's a very evangelistic moment. That doesn't mean every time you go and have a, a, a coffee or a beer or, um, or a meal or whatever you guys enjoy, you just got to jump right into it. Please don't do that, actually. Just be friends. But there are moments, there are moments we can just talk about this great story of how we go from menu to meal, how we go from perfection to brokenness to redemption to restoration. Okay? It's evangelistic. A um, couple more. A meal is revealing. Reveals what's going on in our own hearts. Tim Chester wrote a book called Meals with Jesus, and he, wrote, uh, he said this, and I really thought it was profound. He says, meals can be a visual representation of our hearts. If our hearts are concerned for position, honor, status, or approval, then that will be reflected in our dining etiquette. Consider how your meals express your vision of life. Hear this. Think about who's invited, how they're served, what you hope to achieve, and the layout even of your home. Do they express the vision of the kingdom of God? And I read that, and I was just wrecked. Just even even to take a step back and think about that question. Have I ever pursued that question to think, okay, this is something I'm going to do 1,100 times this year, if not more, and yet this, this thing that is such an intentional and integral part of my life, I'm not asking these questions. Is this a reflection of the kingdom values and ethics that we see Christ proclaim throughout the New Testament? Who am I sitting with? 
Why am I here? Is it because I want, is it for me, is it whatever? Ask those questions. And does, does it reflect the kingdom of God? It's probably a question we'll post like every week this week just to remind us, man, to keep asking ourselves, how do we push into this? Okay? It's a, it's a, it just reveals our hearts, reveals where we're at. The last one, a meal is tasty. Okay? A meal's just really good, and the truth is that God made this world, made good things that we would enjoy them. It's that simple. Right? God, God created beauty. He created good food. He created delicacy. He created everything we have, so enjoy it. Don't make an idol of it, but enjoy it. Enjoy that meal. Throw a little spice in there. Get it going. Kick it up a notch. Right? Enjoy yourself, but enjoy Food, it's okay. It is a, honestly, it's, it's something we do in response to a God who's made good things. Okay, we enjoy good food. Um, I was thinking about that this week, and, and I don't know how many of you guys have had an opportunity to just really travel to different places around the world, but when you go, it seems like every different country has a delicacy, right? Something that to them is the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? And so wherever you go, there's always this thing that for whatever reason gets this tag but could not be farther from the truth, okay? So, um, for example, um, the delicacy in Peru, which they love for whatever reason, um, is called cuy, and they take a, uh, um, a, not a gerbil, what's, maybe a gerbil, something, like guinea pig, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, takes a guinea pig, they just drop that sucker right in a deep fryer. I think they kill it first, I'm hoping, I don't know. Okay, I'm thinking it's dead. I don't know, though, because when I got mine, his face was like, so... <laughs> Might have seen the water coming. Not sure. It's, it's just a deep-fried guinea pig. There's like literally like half an ounce of meat on the thing, and yet it's a delicacy there. It's like 10 times the price of everything else there. Okay? You go across to, um, uh, my favorite was that we were in uh, DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo. They say, oh, we're going to bring you our delicacy, and at this time we were like, that's probably not a good thing, but okay. And so they come out, and they give us this bowl, and in the bowl, and I kid you not, it was like a scene from Indiana Jones, there is a monkey skull sitting in my bowl, and then they give me a spoon, and I say, cool, what do I do with this? And they say, oh, you bash in the, the skull, and then you eat the brains out. I kid you not, that is a real story. Indiana Jones, I lived it. <laughs> Delicacy, they love it, okay? Now, here's the truth. I hated the taste of both of those things, and the variety of other things. In fact, where's Sarah? Where are you at, girl? In the back. You guys eat that balut stuff. Bal- what? Yeah, see, I love it. It's like a half-fertilized duck embryo, okay? Yeah. Tastes fantastic. Looks disgusting. Now, here's the truth. Different people are going to like different things. The reason why I'm telling you all these stories, there is something beautiful about that moment where you get to see why and where that these cultures came from to decide that this was something that was going to be a delicacy for them. But you begin to hear the backstories. You begin to experience something bigger than you. And so even one of the application points, and I'll just say it right now, is this week, I mean, this sounds kind of silly, and you don't usually get this at like a church, but I want you to just try a new food this week. Try something that you wouldn't normally eat. Just grow in your cultural knowledge of other people's heritage and culture. We keep talking about wanting to listen to other people that we would know that we could share and live life in a gospel-centered way. Just try something different this week. Try a food that you wouldn't try. I'm sure Sarah's got a ton of those blue eggs just hanging out at her house, okay? 
Try something different. Okay, so it's, it's, it's tasty. So here we go. Land in here. Application. Eat with three people this week. You got 21 meals this week, and I get it. That's one-seventh of your meals this week. I want them to be with other people. Okay? Christian, non-Christian, someone not like you. It's very simple. You're going to eat 21 times this week at least. Spend three of them with people. Okay? I don't, I don't even, I'll give you a freebie. If, if you want to do the Christian one with your spouse, that's great. Take her on a date, please. Take him on a date. I don't know what that looks like. Do whatever you want to do. Okay? Christian, non-Christian, someone not like you. And then, and then let's take it a step further. Bless, right? Bless them. Pay for the meal. So for those of you who can't afford much, go to Pita Pit. Go to Wildflower and get a pastry. Go to school, get a coffee at Fire Creek. If you can't afford a lot, you want to take me out, we'll go to Bricks. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do. Okay? So Christian, non-Christian, someone might like you, bless them, pay for the meal. Then sit down, listen to them, hear their story, and then eat and share a meal and just see what I think we see throughout Scripture. And that's just the power of what God has created, this beautiful thing that is the meal that is full of the gospel, okay? Um, and then try the new food thing, okay? That's, that's really the, the only thing. I'll say this, if you're here and you're not a Christian, there's about 70 people that want to take you to lunch, okay? So you just got a lot of free food, okay? Embrace that, all right? Let me pray, and we'll sing. God, thank you for grace and mercy and hope in the gospel. God, something that is just so routine and so obvious to us, I think you saw as incredible opportunity, God, both to remind us of how great you are, of how you provide, of how you bless, of how you give, of what you give. God, that you remind us that we need you. God, that these truths move us towards worship. They move us towards making more of you in our hearts, in our minds, and in our actions. And so, God, I pray you'd make us a worshipful people, even through the way that we eat. God, would you make us some more missional people? as we think through how we engage and why we engage and what we eat and who we eat with, God, will we breed and put in and infuse some intentionality into this daily rhythm that everyone in the entire world takes part in? God, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to reflect the kingdom of God. So Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would just move in us, remind us, convict us, and Lord, just bring us to the world. God, let us share meals. Let us share the table. Let us be open with those around us, inviting people in, engaging with those not like us, engaging with our brothers and sisters where there is friendship and community, where there is hope restored, where there's rejuvenation, where there's rest. Lord, would you bless us? We cannot do this well without you. We can eat, but God, we can't eat with the gospel intentionality that we see Jesus did, that we see throughout your, all of your scripture, Lord. We, we long for the day. We wait for the day, Lord, that we, um, we just sit at a dining table and feast with you for all time. God, where the menu is fully open again without brokenness and pain and hurt, where all are welcome at the table. And this is only true because of Jesus. Thank you, God, for your son, thank you for his mission in this world to seek and save that which was lost and to come and serve and not be served. Be exalted as we sing. 
motivate our hearts and make us more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.